And when you find that, if you wouldn't mind standing, we'll stand in reverence for the Word of God. Sometimes the way I preach, if we stood, you'd be standing a long time because of the comments I make as I go through. But if you find Mark chapter 14, and we're beginning in verse 26. I'm going to speak to you on the subject of in the garden. And I'm going to call our minds to some thoughts about a place called Gethsemane. And uh, one of the great things the Lord did there. And let's, let's look in verse 26. They're getting ready to head to Gethsemane, of course, is where Christ would suffer such agony and prayer and such prior to being crucified. Verse 26 tells us how they started that direction. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, that a great place to start. And uh, singing of the hymns. It's part, it's an integral part of our faith. Right now, some of your brothers and sisters in California are facing fines. Churches are being fined, are being openly persecuted by uh, local authorities, by Governor Newsom, who should be removed from office for, for breaking federal law, going against the Constitution. Your brothers and sisters in like minded churches. Brother Trevor to other churches going on out there are being targeted for the way they conduct their services. One of the things they have illegally and immorally tried to do in California is say that churches can't sing. So a preacher is a virus. Don't even get me started. Amen. Yeah, there's a virus. It's called the spirit of Antichrist, which does now work. And so um, you need to be praying. You better be paying attention. See, we've got this American mindset that says it can't happen here, and it can happen here. And by the way, if we as God's people don't live right, sure. people fooling around think it's okay to live like the world when you're supposed to be Christians. If we don't live right, we don't do right, and if we aren't reaching out to people with the gospel, then we deserve to lose what we have. Yeah. We, need to, we, need to, we need to do right before the Lord. It's God's people. It's in our, it's in our, it's in our court, folks. Let, let, let's humble ourselves before God. Turn from our wicked ways and pray. Seek the face of God. And um, we need that. We really do. Mark 14, look in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, and uh, I love that, a hymn by definition is a song of praise, honor towards God, which is designed and constructed for group singing. And if you know this or not, there are songs in our songbook which are very hard to lead a congregation in. And uh, we've sung a couple of them in here. I love the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's one of the older songs in our songbook. And I love that. And we've sung it here. That's a tough song for a congregation to sing together. There are some in there that just aren't going to happen as a group. But they sung a hymn. Can you imagine Jesus and the, the disciples there and them lifting up their voices and singing a hymn before they went to the garden? And it says, When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. And by the way, offended doesn't just mean your little feelings are hurt. Offended means you've been knocked out of the way. You've, been, you've, you've tripped up. Your momentum's gone or you've taken out of the way. It's a very strong word. He said, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that, I am risen. Thank God for that. I love it. He's heading towards Gethsemane and he's talking about when he's going to rise. Let me say this to you. God's always had the victory. It still does. And that's why we don't operate in the spirit of fear. After that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Well, Peter's good about that boasting right there, wouldn't he? Um, and Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, 
before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said, I'm never going to deny you. And Jesus said, no, you're, you're, going to, you're going to do it three times. But he spoke the more vehemently, Peter did. If I should die with thee, I will not, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. So you see the scenario. Then look in verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. It means the pressing place. That's what the word Gethsemane means. And uh, this garden was God's pressing place where Christ began to be pressed under the burden of our sin. They came to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, Set you here while I, sh- while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Imagine the, things, the, 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 the pressure and that coming in on him. And said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Literally, he wasn't... Uh, speaking and, and, you know, overstating something. Literally, it was such a burden as he began to shoulder the sins of this world that it, uh, that it uh, was nearly, nearly killing him there. It says, Terry, you hear and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground. Did you notice that? He didn't just kneel down. He fell on the ground. The burden just drove him down. And he hit that. Something in it. And prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of affection, like unto the word Daddy. And if you ever need a daddy relationship with your Heavenly Father, it's when the burdens are pressing hard on you. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. You want to be like your Savior? I do. I think a lot of you do. We've got to be going to where that's our actual heartbeat. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, Lord. And you'll find out that what he wants is best. And uh, he said that there, and he meant it, verse 37. And he cometh, after this great stress of, of heart and soul, and findeth them, the them there, church, or the disciples, those closest to him, and particularly those three which he particularly pulled out of those who were following him closely. So the closest of the close, how does he find them? While he's going through all of this, while he's carrying this tremendous burden, look what he says. He cometh and findeth them sleeping. Is our Lord going to come and find his church sleeping? When he comes to the lighthouse this morning, does he come find you sleeping? I'm not talking about you had a hard week at work, you quit moving. I know some of y'all, you quit moving, you go to sleep. It's dangerous for you to drive. But, it, uh, but how, does he find us sleeping and sensitive towards the things of God? And findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Hmm. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready. <laughs> you want to. But guess what? The flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. So he went and prayed again the same way. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. They didn't have anything to say. They just, what are, they going, what are you going to say? He keeps finding you asleep on the job. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. Now I wonder if there's a pause in there for the next thing. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Or if there's a pause. Rise up, let us go. He that betrays me is at hand. And he's looking down at him. He says, you're going to need your rest with what's coming. 
And finally, let's go. It's time to go. The one that betrays me is there. A lot happened in the garden. I'm going to give you just a few thoughts on it this morning. I think it'll help you if you come with a heart wanting to learn something about the Lord. I think it'll help you love your Lord a little better this morning. And because of that, you'll want to draw a little closer to Him. Let's pray together. Father, help me to help your people. Um, and Lord, thank you for the way you've helped me already this morning. And thank you for the uh, good song for the young ones we just heard. And just all the precious things that are very dear to us that are associated with your church and being together. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. You may be seated, please, if you would. In the garden, there are several things. And I'll give you just a few of them this morning. Um, first of all, let me say to you, I made allusion to it, but there was a broken heart of prayer. There was a broken heart of prayer. Listen to these words I'm going to read you out of Luke chapter 22. You can find them later, but listen, let, let your mind be attentive to them. Jesus, it was said about him in Luke 22, it says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. He, Christ actually was under such agony of spirit and soul. He was so uh, burdened and so, so overwhelmed by our sin, by the sin of mankind and ours individually, that he actually began to pray and, and actually blood was coming out with the sweat. You talk about a stressful situation. Uh, we know stress can cause physiological change. We know it affects blood chemistry. It affects health. Affects your bone uh, uh, density, your capacity, your blood to bone to produce blood or not. There's all sorts of things that it does. We know that. I remember a neighbor of mine named Keith Dahl, and his uh, uh, his son, 18 year old son, uh, was was murdered in, in a fight over a girl, and he asked guys to step outside, and the guys stabbed him in the throat and killed him. And I remember when that happened. And uh, uh, the, uh, uh, I remember when Brian, his son, was, uh, was just about three years younger than me. And I remember Keith, our neighbor, always had jet black hair. And I'm telling you, within less than a month, his hair was white. It stayed that way. I didn't even know that could happen. I watched it happen. I saw him and saw stuff coming in. And within a month, his hair was white. Just totally changed. What incredible stress. Some of you all been through stresses that have changed you in a lot of different ways. And you've had things happen. But can I tell you that the Lord purposefully took on uh, the kind of brokenness and the kind of burden in, in prayer that we can't even dream of. We've been burdened in prayer before and we get burdened in prayer. And by the way, uh, let me help you with something. I'm not, I'm not in any way giving somebody an out to not be attentive in prayer. But please don't expect of yourself which, that which doesn't normally happen. When you hear about someone else's loved one being, being hurt, being ill, not saved, somebody's praying for him. You may actually have a burden for him, but don't beat yourself if your emotions don't come up to a certain level. It's like you hear about someone passing away, you don't know them well. Don't beat yourself if your emotions don't come up to a certain level. You don't, that's, that's not part of it. You can't whip up emotions when you want to. And that's not what the Lord requires. What He wants you to do is to be able to take time enough to pray for somebody. Uh, I've gone to people I'm witnessing to and stuff, and uh, I, I told I know like after the first time we'd met, and uh, Andrew, we have to admit, and you'd come by the house there. The reason I can remember your name and find you again, because I told you at that point I would pray for you that week. 
I didn't promise you I was going to pray for you indefinitely. You know why? Because I'm going to forget you at some point. But that's just what's going to happen. You know, not sorry about that, but that's that's way it goes. And um, you know, and not because I'm indifferent towards you, just reality. But that week, every day, I would remember, and that's why I actually had your name in my. And if I just called you Angie, and your name's actually Jack. Don't mess up the illustration, okay? But that's yeah, you, you got it, all right. But the the thing of it is, the burden that Christ had, that brokenness in prayer, was the burden of a knowing Savior. You realize, look, God's our Creator. I think through this for a minute. God is our creator. That means He made us. He made mankind in His image. We are not animals. It is actually an error to classify us in the animal kingdom. I don't care whether you go by phylum, family, species, subtype, or what. It's, it's an error to do that. Why? Because you say, oh, but you know, our DNA. And, well, no kidding. From what raw material were, they, were we made? We're the dirt, right? The dust, that's where we came from initially. Well, no kidding that we would have the same elemental makeup as most everything else that was created in this world. Are, are you with me? The distinguishing difference is that breath of life, when God breathed into Adam's nostrils a breath of life and he became a living soul, it is that touch of the divine within us. It is the fact that God made us and what he put within us from himself that turned us and made us to be something beyond just what the animal kingdom is. And He did that so He could fellowship with us. You ever seen something really sharp and you really want everybody to see it? We were uh, Last night, my wife said, God, come to the backyard and see the sunset because there's uh, a, uh, a garage, uh, the neighbor's garage blocks from one place where I was standing. And she went, everybody to go back there and look at this sunset. It was a brilliant, brilliant sunset. And you know what she was saying? She was saying, I want somebody else I know who likes this stuff to appreciate this. Do you know that God in all His majesty and glory created man and gave him a rational mind, gave him capacity for thought and understanding so that God could say, look at this. Amen. I want to share with you what I have. And then so we could be the recipients. And ultimately also... We could also give back His love to us so He could have a love relationship that the animal world doesn't have in the same way that we ever can have. And God made us a little lower than the angels but crowned us with glory and honor. Why? Christ did this and God has made us this way. Why? So that we could fellowship with God. The greatest purpose of your life, you say, I'm looking for purpose in my life, that you please God. The Bible outlines it. That's it. It comes down to that. This is, this is the purpose of my life. Oh, you say, preacher, your purpose since you've been a teenager, you've known you should pastor. That is, that is what I do. And forgive the word vocation as a Bible word. Doesn't mean I just look at it as a job or a punch of time block. But that is what I do vocationally as I seek to please God. But if my voice were to give out, if I physically couldn't withstand pastoring anymore, if tomorrow I can no longer be pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church or anywhere else, I could still please God with my life. And by the way, I could hold this position and not please God. That's right. Right. So the great issue is to please God. God, and you think about it, He's our Creator. So this is the kind of interest He has in us. This is the kind of love He has towards us. And then to see man who had walked in the garden, a man who God had built with such capacities, for God to see what He had become, Been far too many a parent has seen a child make choices which have damaged themselves, which have limited their opportunities in some areas, which have bought, brought them grief and pain. And the heart of a loving parent breaks over and over again. 
when they see somebody they love, their own offspring, make a decision that affects everything. How much more, our Heavenly Father, when He saw the brokenness of mankind and with it the complete inability to make ourselves right. Oh, we could reform our actions, but we couldn't redeem our souls. So what did He do? He took upon Himself a robe. It's called flesh. Man couldn't get to God, so God came to man. He came to this earth. And He walked among men. Now Jesus had been, by this time, Brother Keith walking among men. He had seen and interacted with them. And at this point at Gethsemane in this garden, it's all coming in. And what happens there? There's a prayer of, the Bible says, agony. They're laboring in prayer. Agony to a point of blood coming out. Can you, can, you even, can you even imagine? So I say a broken heart of prayer. Let's allow our heart to be broken. Let's not be flippant about people in a wayward condition. Let's not be flippant about people who are lost. Let's not be flippant about people who are out from serving the Lord. It used to be a source of a lot of prayer in churches. They didn't go and hang people's dirty laundry out for everybody to see and go tell a bunch of details about somebody's life. But a common prayer request used to always be pray, pray for my son, pray for my daughter, pray for my husband, pray for my wife. They're not in church. Or they just said they're not living for the Lord right now. Let's just pray for them. And, and people who were serious and decent about it didn't go naming out everything going on. That's never, you know, prayer is not supposed to become a public gossip forum. And so, but that used to be a heartbeat in churches. They prayed because somebody could say, prayed because somebody got right, and the whole church would rejoice in it. As much of that's missing in it. Broken heart of prayer. Then I saw besetting weakness and limitations. Let's look back there in Mark 14 and look at a couple of the verses you see of besetting weakness and limitation. Besetting doesn't mean that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. It just means you need to realize it's there. It's inherent to the situation, so you have to pay attention to it. Uh, look in verse 37. I drew attention as we went through, but he cometh and findeth them how? Sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Do you know just a little while before that, just a little over an hour before that, Craig had said he had said it vehemently, so he got worked up. He had been saying to Jesus, Jesus said, Oh, you're going to deny me. I won't. I'll die with you, but I won't deny you. Everybody else is going to. Oh yeah, all these guys. You realize what he is saying? How did that have to sound to the other disciples? They're all standing around there and Jesus said, you're, all, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, these guys probably will. I'm not. Yeah, Peter, that's good. <laughs> I bet he can be overbearing to be around something. But he had more vehemently. I mean, he, ah, I'm going to stand. Let's go. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. Jesus said, stay here and pray. Watch with me. Will you pray, please? I'm going to go up here and pray. Jesus goes and falls under the pressure of this, prays to a point where blood's coming out, and he comes back, and there's Peter snoring. I wonder why I called him out. Peter, couldn't you pray for an hour? You're going to die for me? You put pray for an hour? Reality check here. There's some besetting weakness and limitations, aren't there? It goes on further, and you look down at why it happened. It says their eyes were heavy. You ever had that? You ever been fighting it? I'll tell you something else. Or in Bible college, so many different things would happen. People trying to stay awake in church and, and trying to stay awake in class and sometimes running on four hours or less sleep every single night, every single night. It's just a schedule thing. Working full-time, and going to college full-time and stuff. And, and uh, 
Well, I remember all kinds of things. I remember a fellow standing in the back of the class. One teacher said, if you can't stay awake, stand in the back. And we're all sitting there in class, and we hear smack. Oh, this guy fell asleep standing up, face planted right there. We, we were all so concerned, we about died laughing. And <laughs> college is a weird and cruel place. But Amen. <laughs> they're, they're weaknesses, aren't they? Um, you know, with whatever weaknesses you face and with, with whatever weaknesses I face, we have a God who helps us for every step we take the right direction. You can serve God. You can love the Lord. See, the Bible says you can do it. That commands you can do it. If you're actually saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can walk away from sin and wrong behavior. You can get things right in your life. You can... Go forward. You say, oh, preacher, I'm carrying some baggage. Well, you're carrying it. That's the issue. Quit carrying it. You may have some wounds that stay with you, and you're going to learn to deal with those. But if it's baggage you're carrying, you all use the language you all like to use. If it's baggage you're carrying, then why you got a hold of it? You're carrying it. Set her down. We went out for the wedding. Getting my mother-in-law through the airports was quite the interesting thing. And uh, Washington Airport, and then flew to Newark, New Jersey Airport. And uh, she was 86 at the time. I think she turned 87, yeah, it was 86 at the time. And we're going through, and she moves pretty good for her age, really. But she had her bag, her carry on bag. And they dropped us like, you know, those terminals are further apart than the two ends of our county, it seems like. And we were trying to get from one point to another, and I knew we didn't have a lot of time to catch the flight. And we we're going along. I said, Mom, can I take that bag, please? Nope. She grabs it like this. My, my wife's brother, Kenny, he says, Mom, let me carry the bag. No. And she's doing her best. So we're going along. I know we got to move faster. I said, Mom, do you mind if I take that? And she looked at me so sharp, and she says, I told you I've got it. This is how I maintain my independence. I said, good with me, man. So literally, I ran ahead and made sure they didn't take off with the airplane without us. And so, uh, uh, amazing. But I'm afraid way too many times the things that are unnecessary in life, we do that with, don't we? This is mine. And uh, okay, that's good. If you do something like that and it keeps you moving and keeps you with that kind of mindset in your 80s, I'm good for you. Do that in the human element. But let's not do that in an independence from God. And let's dare to be brokenhearted before God when we need to be. I'm not talking about working up some kind of goofy, goofy emotions that aren't there, but I'm talking about why don't we dare to get real with God? Why don't we dare to get real with God and tell Him when we're scared? Why don't we dare to get real with God and tell Him when we don't know what to do next? Why don't we dare, why don't we dare to get real with God and tell Him when we're doubting? And what happened here, there was besetting weaknesses and limitations. What were they? They were things that were there and they're part of it. You know, one thing I'm certain of, I'm certain of this church here can be a place where people can come and get help and we can grow as a body and you can learn to minister to one another, which is what I'm committing myself to as far as your pastor to help you learn how to do that as the body of Christ. But I'm going to tell you something, there will always be limitations, there will always be weaknesses that should not surprise us and it should not stop us. That's right. Because we have a God who takes some mighty ordinary people and some mighty limited people and can do some mighty great things with them. Why? Because that way he gets the honor with it. So you see a broken heart of prayer. You see a besetting weakness and limitations of that. And then we see the betrayal of greed, covetousness, 
and envy. Of course, greed. Well, Judas, he was a devil from the beginning, the Bible says. People misunderstand the verse that says that another should take the bishopric which Judas, from which Judas by transgression fell. And the denomination in which I was saved and my Arminian friends take that verse and say, look, he fell. He fell from grace. Well, that's great, except the word grace is nowhere in the passage. That would be one flaw with that reasoning. Another thing is, if you read what actually happened, he fell from the bishopric. He did not... He was no longer in his position there. But Jesus said, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? You know, when, uh, when, the, uh, when the lady anointed Jesus' feet with the, uh, with the ointment, everybody got upset and said, why was, this, uh, why was this waste made? And the Bible says Judas said that. He said, why was this waste? We could have sold this for 300 pence. That's about 300 days worth of wages. And given it to the poor. And then she just poured it out. The Bible reveals motives that he didn't care about the poor. He says because he was a thief and he kept the bag. He was the one who was taking care of accounts, you know. And he was skimming off the top. That was Judas from the beginning. I mean, he just was. He walked, he walked close to Christ. He put a hypocritical kiss on the cheek of Christ. And where Christ had been sweating blood, he actually put his lips on the blood which could have redeemed him, Brother Keith. Died and went to hell, the Bible says. Son of perdition. Why? Because that's what he did. So there was greed. Do you realize that he sold him for 30 pieces of silver? He didn't even get a high payout on it. And they came back and threw it on the ground. Greed. Something else, isn't it? That was there in there. The Bible teaches us the love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, boy, it was right there in the garden with this going on. And then you had the uh, envy. You said, where did the envy come in? The Bible says that the Jews delivered Jesus for envy. That's why they did it. They did it because of envy. God it reveals a motive. There's no doubt about it. So you have the broken heart of prayer. You have the besetting weakness, limitation. And then you have the betrayal that goes there. And part of it greed and part of it envy. And then you have the blindness and brutality of hatred. They came in and there was just a blindness because they, they, they wanted Him destroyed. In fact, when the envy got so strong earlier on, there was a conspiracy. I know some people don't like that word. It's in the Bible. It's a fact that they exist. And there was a conspiracy, the Bible says. They conspired. Now, check the word that's used about Jesus. They said that the Jews conspired how they might destroy Him. They hated Him. They didn't just want Him discredited. They didn't just want him not being able to teach, but they wanted the faction that wanted him destroyed. It didn't represent the whole population, obviously, but those who were involved with it. They wanted him destroyed. And why did they want him destroyed? Because their errors were being pointed out. And in he, Jesus would be speaking out in a place that was not populated. I mean, drawing in crowds where you had 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And these folks couldn't get a crowd together if they had to. And they were outright envious is what it was. Yeah. There was the hatred thereof. They came with weapons, the Bible said. They knew he was unarmed. They came at night. Why? Because they feared the people. With political expediency. They came and drug him off to a Roman governor. Why? Because as an occupied country who was under Roman rule, they could not execute a death penalty. They had to get the Romans to do it. And so they jumped up the charge of, of uh, actually, they jumped, jumped up the charge of, uh, of sedition or the, the charge that he was trying to overthrow the government. That's why they prod him as a king. They said, this man said he's a king. They were, they were trying to set him against Caesar. 
All that was going on. You say, yeah, but God meant something different with it. Yes, He did, but I'm just telling you what the Bible revealed was going on. In the garden, does it occur to us in all of this that when Jesus prayed so effectively and so passionately, it was not an easy time to do so. It wasn't a pleasant time to do so. Then, thank God is the contrast to that and what God did with it. We've heard enough about what man did. We've heard the broken heart of prayer, which was Christ. That's wonderful. But then man and his, him revealed. And the garden reveals something about man, reveals about Christ. But then we see the beginning of redemption. Um, read to you Luke twenty two forty four. 44. The sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The beginning of redemption began there. You want to find the first place where it's recorded that Jesus' blood is shed in conjunction with man's sin. It's there. The fullness of the letting of that blood and the fullness of that blood sacrifice comes to pass on Calvary. But that blood begins to be shed at Gethsemane. I mentioned to you earlier, do you remember what I told you the, the word Gethsemane means? Pressing place. God's pressing place. Why? It's a garden at the Mount of Olives. It's where they would take the olives, they would press them, and in the pressing, the oil of olive or the olive oil would come out, which had great value, both uh, uh, commercially it had value, it had value health-wise, had benefits with it, and it had value in relationship with the worship of God, was used in many aspects of the worship of God. And when the pressure and the, and the and it was put on, then that which was most valuable came out of those olives. I mean, you could eat the olives, but the most valuable commodity of the olives is the oil that would be pressed out of them. When Christ was put in at Gethsemane, what happened, the pressing began. And as the pressing began, the blood began. As the blood began, it became what happened. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. No more the blood of bulls and goats. No more the blood of a sacrificial lamb that had to be repeated every year because it was insufficient. That's why the sacrifices had to be redone all the time because they were insufficient. But as the book of Hebrews teaches us once for all, Christ, as the Lamb of God, was going to give His blood on our behalf. And that blood letting began here in Gethsemane. This was in the garden. And then I see the boldness of Jesus. And I want to show you this. Look in John chapter 18. I want you to see this with me. Turn over there to John chapter 18. And this actually was the verse I was reading which started my study which led to this message for you this morning. It was the early morning I was reading this, taking my time. I suggest to you do that. I'm somewhat of a rapid reader when I want to be. I have a capacity to read rather rapidly when I want to. But I loved what Charles Spurgeon said, much pride and little learning comes of hasty reading. It's a good statement. May I suggest to you in your Bible, read slowly. Let it be a part of you. Think about what you're reading. I've taught that for a good while in our church, and I loved it. First time after I taught, one of our fellows walked up to me and says, I got a maid. And that's what he made. He said, well, he said, you said read slowly, and that's my only choice in life. He says, I got my head of the game. So there you go. Amen. That's a benefit. But look in John chapter 18. And I read this, who knows how many times. But I had never, ever... Seen all that it said. John 18, verse 3, it says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns 
and torches and weapons. Well, they got quite a deal going, didn't they? So you got this whole crowd showing up. You'd be able to see that in the garden, wouldn't you? Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him. Now think about that just for a second. We'll finish the verse. Think about that. Think about that statement, friend. Let's, let's let that sink in. In other words, Gabe, he's, he's fully aware of what he's getting ready to face in that crucifixion. Have you ever done something, you're getting ready to do it, you're going, you go, this is going to hurt? Maybe you had a procedure going on. Maybe, maybe you've got something you've got to go through. Maybe just as emotionally, you say, this is going to hurt. You say, I'm not looking forward to this. Can we even start to grasp a small portion of knowing what the brutality is he's getting ready to face? See, he knows that. He knows what he's walking into. There's no surprise here for him. Now, now look at, with that in mind for a second, look at the rest of the verse. I'll begin again in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, look at the next two words, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He stepped into it. Don't you think for a moment that he's trying to run from something in the garden when he says, if it be possible? No, what is that? That's the robe of flesh he took on. And Matthew, who wants to go through that kind of pain? Nobody with any sense wants to go through it. But when it came time, Brad, he stepped into it. Wait for it. He stepped into it actively. Do you realize what the Lord was doing when he went forth like that? He was literally, literally stepping between us and the wrath of God. That mob and those folks coming could be very representative of what was happening. The fact that we as lost people were, 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 were uh, going to be facing the wrath of the rightly and righteously angry God. A God who we've cursed. A God who we've ignored. A God who we've had a heart of unbelief towards. And Jesus stepped between them. And took the full fury and wrath of that upon Himself on Calvary. The beginning of redemption happened in that garden. The beginning of redemption when blood was first shed. The beginning of redemption when Jesus stepped between. In fact, He says to them, and I'll not read all down through there, He said, whom seek ye? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am He. And they actually fall back from that. They regather themselves. And He said, I told you I'm He. He said, let these go. Literally, He's got these followers. They could have been drug off by this mob too. And Jesus literally said, let them go. And He steps into it Himself. You know why? Here you are from the book of Hebrews. When He had by Himself purged us with His own sins. By Himself. Many times over the years when I've been witnessing somebody trade and they're a person who seems to be trusting works for their salvation, religious works, good works towards family or something, I will take him to that passage where it says, when he had by himself purged us from our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I'll take him to that verse and I'll ask him, I'll say, now I'm not asking you who was on the cross on either side of Jesus. We know Bob talks about that. I ask him who was on the same cross, who was on that cross with Jesus. And even the most knowledgeable person, if they're arguing from a point of works, they'll say nobody. If it's one of our Catholic friends, they may say, uh, they may say well, nobody else. It was Mary on that cross with Jesus. Probably it was Mary on that cross with Jesus. 
Was uh, Peter on that cross with Jesus? No. Was there a church on that cross with Jesus? No. Who was on that cross with Jesus? Well, it was just Jesus. Well, the one that was on the cross is the only one who can save us. So you've got to make sure your faith is just in that one. Because that's the only one that came up out of that grave, too. This thing of salvation with Christ, that, that he did that himself. In the beginning of that redemption, in the beginning of showing who he was, began there and at at Gethsemane. In that garden that night. So how did he fortify himself before that? He sung a hymn, he prayed, and he stepped into what God had for him. A lot happened in the garden. And thank God it did. By the way, where did man sin? In a what? Huh. And then the Son of Man, Christ Jesus, God made in the flesh, came to a garden and reclaimed man who was fallen. There's a lot involved there, my friends. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your redemption. And Lord, we, all we ever do is just touch the surface of it. And thank You for what Your Word teaches. Lord, my heart's prayer to you with this message is that some of your folks love you better, maybe in a way of better knowledge and fullness this week, that they'll maybe praise you a little more, talk to you a little more this week because of it. And then if I've spoken to people who don't belong to you, Lord, they're, they're lost and they're listening to my voice. Will you give them that Holy Spirit conviction that only you can give? May they not be satisfied to leave this place without you. Please, Father, give us working of yourself today to this morning this hour in this place amen keep your heads bowed just a moment i don't play any games and fool around with stuff i'm living that nonsense i do want to ask you a straightforward question do you do you believe on jesus christ as your savior is he your lord and savior if you cannot answer that in a way positively say yes he is Talk about do you understand everything about it, but do you believe that he is the payment for your sin, that he has died and rose again? If if you don't know him, we're gonna have an invitation in just a moment. Let me ask you something, whether you get somebody's attention near you, whether you come down front, let us deal with you. Would you please let somebody open scripture? Talk to you about your soul. Show you how to receive Christ. He loves you very much. He wants to see you know Him. Let's stand together, please. We'll have a song invitation. You want to bring something to the Lord this morning. It'll be a good time to fellowship with Him. Why don't you come ahead on the first note this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've got to take a step here. Let's time to be bold. Let's do, let's do what's right.